Now, I want to say one thing real quick, and we're going to start. We're in John 17. We're going to finish John 17 today. Yay! Okay, stop that. We're going to finish. You've been so patient, and I really appreciate it. It's just there's so much here that just keeps confusing me, or maybe uh, infusing me uh, with uh, information. But in this outreach kind of idea, I just want to kind of remind you again, it seems to me, and I'm just talking for Cliff here, that there are two kind of outreach initiatives the Lord has sort of led us in, in the last few months. One is, who's your man? And we talked about that, about that as followers of Jesus, there ought to be somebody in our life that we're pouring our life into. Someone that, that we are sharing with them what Christ means to us. And some of you have come to me and said, you know, I believe God's given me someone. I, I apologize, ladies. It, it's not just for men, but it's a statement from the Navigators, a great ministry over the years, that that was the question they always had. Who's your man? Who are you pouring your life into? And the second thing, a few weeks ago, I shared with you those concentric circles of identifying people in your world that you already know their name, of beginning to pray for them and intercede for them. And if possible, if it happens, where God will give you the opportunity to share your faith. I hope some of you are doing that. I've got that on my calendar every evening to look at my circles again. Remember the circles are family, friends, work, associates, people you see on a regular basis, and finally, maybe just somebody you run into. The family, friends, Work associates, some of you have 20, somebody said they had 26 names of people that are not followers of Jesus in those three circles, their family, their friends, and their neighbors. So I just want to kind of remind us again that that emphasis of our lives to not only pour our life into others in terms of helping them to grow spiritually, but how about all those people in your family, your friends, and your neighbors that don't know Jesus, that you could begin to pray for them by name. So those are just some emphases that we're trying to, to do. So I just want to kind of remind you. Okay, we're going to finish up today. Oh, this is a prayer. We're going to have this for you. Uh, Deborah Honeycutt sent us. These are the answers to some of her prayers, that are our answers to prayers that we prayed. I can't get on that slide well enough. I'm so technologically advanced. Uh, you know me. We'll get that to you later. If you'd like to read that, that'd probably cause you to have a fit or something if you have to read all those words at once. Anyway, we're going to go to this uh, Jesus' intercession for you, your place. We're in John 17. I've said to you on several occasions, just remember, this is the longest recorded prayer in the entire New Testament, John 17. And um, I find it in here that there are uh, these uh, features of it where Jesus is praying for us. Remember, he said, I don't just pray for those who are with me now, but for all of those who will believe on their testimony of their word, verse 20. And so we've been kind of working through that where I, in my mind, I've seen where Jesus is saying this particular thing or this particular truth needs to find place in your heart. We, we, we said uh, recently that one of the things is our place is a sanctified life. That's where Jesus uses that word. Last week we ended with our place is to be in him, that he's our life. And so today I want to look at a few, couple of more uh, matters, if you will, of the certain place. So I'm going to begin reading here in verse 24 at this very ending where Jesus makes these statements. Father, I I wish or I desire that they also whom you have given me be with me where I am so that they may see my glory, which you have given to me, that you have loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet They, I have known you, and these have known you that you sent me. And I have made you known your name to them, and do make it known so that the love with which you have loved me, now watch this, this is incredible, that the love with which you have loved me may be where? In them. What a way to end a prayer. That the love that you have loved me, the Father, Loving the Son, the same love that you have loved me with, it may be in them. So we're going to look at three things here today, and we'll start with this, and this matter is number one, our place with Jesus. Our place. It's fascinating to me that Jesus makes this statement, I desire, and the Greek word there, desire, is not like, um, I hope this happens. This is Jesus stating his will. It's the Greek word thelo, which means, this is my will, that they be with me. 
that they would be with me where I am. I, I, when I was thinking about this, I was looking at what Jesus said. Look, he, he wants us to be with him. Have you ever had this experience where we were uh, traveling uh, back in November uh, with uh, Dick and Terry Green and we decided on fall break that we would go to Washington, D.C. Uh, for a few days and see some of the sites. I've been several years, you know, at the National Prayer Breakfast and, and Becky's actually never been there except when her uncle graduated from West Point. They went to Kansas and as, after they got through at West Point, her dad drove them through Washington, D.C. and said, look over there, look over there, look over there, look over there, and then they went to Kansas. <laughs> She never put her foot on the ground in Washington, D.C. I mean, he, oh, look, oh, oh, that's Arlen, man. He's like a, what he used to call a mare headed for the barn. So we went. We decided we'd do that. And you know what? We made these plans and, and all like this. And then I said to Becky, what if they don't like us? <laughs> Have you ever traveled with people and wondered about that? I mean, it really wasn't what if they don't like us? What if they don't like me? They'd always like Becky, <laughs> Right? I mean, I really remember thinking, should we do this? Should we really go on this trip? Or will they find out things about me that I don't want them to know? <laughs> you know, I have a few little irritants probably in my life that uh, not everybody thinks is great. Uh, I- I'm thinking, man, if we go on this trip, we could, we could ruin a friendship, right? You know, because people get to know you a little bit. And, you know, and, and I remember, and, and Becky said to me, it might, <laughs> I said, wow, that's encouraging. You know, when you spend extended periods of time with people, you get to know them a little bit. You, there, there's a, there can be a thing of, whew, I'm glad that's over, right? You know, I worried about that. I really did. I'm not kidding. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I, I thought, wow, I, I sure don't want to hurt a friendship. I, I, maybe I should, we should just stay here and they can live under the illusion that I'm a nice guy. You know, think about this. Jesus says, I want you to be with me. I want these, Jesus says, to be with me. I don't know if that strikes you the way it strikes me, but the notion here that Jesus is saying, I really want them to be with me. I mean, listen, how many of us want to be with Jesus? <laughs> you know, we want to be, right? Oh boy, I want to be with him. But look at that language. Father, I desire that they whom you've given me will also be with me. I want that. I desire that. I will it that they would be with me. I don't know about you, but I, I've talked to a lot of people and I've, I've, I've probably had enough shame in my life and, and dealt with that that it, it is a staggering thought to me to think that Jesus would want to be with me. I, I know I want to be with him. I, I, I know that I want to spend time, but, but I wonder do I really live with the awareness? Do you live with the awareness that your place is to be with him? That's staggering to me. I want them to be with me. I want them to be in the, the notion here for me, and I, I would refer you back to a great sermon that Lance Ward preached about the idea of heaven is only heaven because Jesus is there. Listen, it's where he is, where Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That notion of being with him. And so I wonder if our understanding of our place with him has this idea, he wants to be with you. He wants you, he wants me to be where he is. Do you live with that notion? Do you live with that sense that you're desirable, that God wants you, Jesus wants you to be with him. I, I used to laugh at a professor I had. His name was, it's funny, had a funny. His name was, last name was Trick. And he was funny. <laughs> Dr. Trick. He used to always say, uh, and he got older, he'd say, well, he said, you know, I'm just trusting and praying that I can just finally drop across the line into heaven. And I thought, well, that's kind of silly, isn't it? That doesn't sound very victorious. That doesn't sound very wonderful. But you know, the more I've got to know me, <laughs> that doesn't sound too bad. <laughs> Just make it, <laughs> you know. God could say to me, hey, you see that tent over there? That's yours. I'm fine. I'm good with that, okay? You know, some of you will have a mansion and a big house and we'll come over and eat. But the idea that Jesus would say, 
I want you to be with me. I, I want you and I want these to be with me. What, what if you did this? What? Oh, that was the first one. <laughs> I'm a little behind today. What if you would confess at the beginning of the day that Jesus wants to be with you now and in the future? What if you did that? That Jesus wants to be with you now and he wants to be with you in the future. It could be just maybe some place for some personal growth that if there's a sense of shame in you or there's a sense of unworthiness in you that you might want to dig around there a little bit and say, why do I think that I shouldn't be with Jesus when he is praying here that I will be? What is it about me? What is it about my sense of myself or my own awareness that maybe resists that or wonders about that or thinks that that's not really possible? What if this week you would confess at the beginning of each day that Jesus wants to be with you now and in the future? I think it might be valuable for you to do. Second, watch this, what he says. Oh, also though, he makes this other statement. If I can make this thing work. Oh my goodness. It is plugged in, Eric, smarty. (laughs) Here we go. To see his glory. Notice what he says. I want them to be with me that you've given me, that they may be where I am so that they may see my glory that you've given me. That you may see my glory. This is a term that has happened on several occasions uh, in John. And let me just refer you to this. Jesus says, I want them to see and, and experience, if you will, the idea of my glory. The word glory here is a, is a term that's used all through John. If you're interested, you can do a study on it. Just, just go through the book of John. It has several dimensions. Uh, it has the, the Greek word is doxa, D-O-X-A. Or in Hebrew, if you want to look this up, it's kavod, K-A-V-O-D. And it has the notion of splendor and uh, 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 value, splendor, and value, substance. In fact, uh, uh, the, the Hebrew word kavod for, for, for glory is heaviness, weightiness. My dad said when he got up to about 215 pounds, he said, kavod. <laughs> I said, not exactly. <laughs> heaviness, meaning substantiveness, of weightiness, of substance. And this word glory suggests something about the substance or the weightiness of Jesus here. Now, it's interesting because this word glory is a word that was used throughout the age with Jesus. I was reflecting on this morning. You know, Jesus, he uses words different than other people. Like, like when Jesus says power, he doesn't really mean power. He means power. Here's what I mean. When we think of the word power, we think of something that enables us to get done what we want. He means power. He means where it says in 1 Peter that you would suffer according to the will of God by the power of God. See, when he says power, he doesn't mean power. When he says all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, go and make this. He doesn't mean authority. Like you get to get done. He means I have influence and authority to influence people. I can't make them be disciples. My authority isn't that I can make it happen. It's I have influence. I just want you to consider that when Jesus uses some words, he takes them in a whole different word. By the way, when, when, when we see in the, in the New Testament, you know, these words like when we call Jesus son of God, that's treason. If you looked at the coins in the ancient Near East in Rome, on the back of that coin, Augustus Caesar, son of God. The son of God was the emperor. When you call Jesus son of God, you just committed treason to the empire, right? When you called him Lord, you just committed treason because there's one person named Lord, Kurios, it's Caesar. There's a lot of words that Jesus uses and things that have different meanings here, not, not in some cryptic way, but that they've been re- redefined. 
So when Jesus uses the term here, glory, the, the substance of me, what is that? When he said that, I want them to see my glory, my substance, my heaviness, my splendor. If you look back in John chapter one, the first time this word shows up, glory, says this, verse 14, John one, he says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory. What was it, John? Glory of the only begotten son from the father, full of grace and truth. What is, what, what is Jesus' glory? Full of grace and truth. See, when we think of glory, and if when they were reading that back then, this word doesn't mean the same thing. When they think of glory, let me suggest to you, in the ancient world back then, they thought of Rome. The glory of Rome. And I'll give you my gladiator um, uh, accent here in a minute. The glory of Rome. When glory was used outside of Judaism, it referred to Rome. The substance, the essence, the power, the splendor, the greatness, the might of Rome. Jesus is using this term differently because with God, it's different. This term, the substance, the essence here, at least from John's standpoint, is that Jesus' glory is not that he's powerful, not that he's mighty, not that he gets to push countries around, but that he's full of grace and truth. This reminded me, I was telling Becky, uh, this reminded me of an Old Testament passage. I'm going to ask you to look at it because it's one of the first times the word glory shows up. It's found in Exodus 33. If you want to turn there, go to your table of contents. That's in the front of your Bible. That's where you can find all the books of the Bible. Exodus page 52 in my Bible. Go to chapter 33. This idea, this idea of I want them to see my glory. Now, according to John 1, 15, they've already seen his glory in one sense. What is it? It's one who is full of grace and truth. But in this incredible story in the Old Testament, after Israel had been delivered and gone out and they got the Ten Commandments, um, or if you've seen the Mel Brooks movie, the 15 that started, but uh, I'm ashamed I've said that. <laughs> that, uh, that Moses, having met with God, having met with God, has this conversation, verse 17 of chapter 33. The Lord said to Moses, I'll also do this which you've spoken to me for you found favor in my sight. I have known you by name. Then Moses said, show me your glory. There it is, kavod. Show me. Okay, I found favor in your sight. I'm gonna, I'm gonna run the risk here now. Show me your glory. Look what he says. And he said, this is God speaking. I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show compassion whom I will show compassion. Do you notice an alternation there in the words? What did Moses ask to see? His glory. What did God say he's going to show him? His what? His compassion. And good. Listen, listen, listen. This is where these words mean different. The glory of Rome is the splendor. They, they stamp out every opponent, every person, every, every one that gets in their way. The glory of Jesus is his goodness. That's what he said. I mean, I looked this up. These are two different words. These are not some sleight of hand by the, interp by the, by the translators. He said, show me your kavod. And he says, I will show you my goodness. Would it be change in your thinking if you understood that God, remember the, word, the substance of God, the weightiness of God, the, the, the essence of God is that he is good. How would that change our thinking? How would that change our living? That the glory that Jesus wants to show these men, he wants them to be with him, that somehow after the end, we're going to be able to see the goodness of God in ways that are unimaginable. I don't know about you, but that thrills me. That makes me think, my goodness, that the glory of God 
the glory of Jesus here is associated with this understanding of goodness. It's not that God is just powerful. Listen, if you study the, the religions of the ancient Near East, all of the gods are powerful. If you, it isn't that they can just manipulate and get things done. All the gods of the ancient Near East do this. You know what they're not though? You can read Plato, or you can read the Greeks, you can read uh, ancient uh, Mesopotamian. One of the things about the gods is they're not good. They're unpredictable. They're selfish. You know, if you study uh, ancient Sumerian things, you, do, do you know why God, the gods, they have, a, they have a flood story called the Epic of Gilgamesh. Do, do you know why the gods flooded the earth? Did you ever hear this? Because people were being so loud, the gods couldn't take a nap. So they decided to destroy the world, except for Gilgamesh. He got out somehow. I mean, these kind of stories are replete in the ancient Near East. Listen, the one thing you can say is the gods of the ancient world aren't good by any stretch. They're powerful. They're mighty. They can make things happen. They destroy places. They make the rain. All the, but they're not good. Jesus said, I want them to see my glory. I have a hunch, have a sense that John's let us know that Jesus full of grace and truth, that's pretty good. But one of these days, we're gonna see his glory in such a way that it will only be possible for resurrected bodies to be able to bear it. I am convinced that one of the things that we've done is we've turned God into our image. And that's what we're really afraid of. That God might be like me. He might be picky. He might be vindictive. He might be, he, he might be willing to settle scores. When the New Testament and scripture is replete, that the way, the thing that distinguishes the God of Israel, the thing that distinguishes the revelation of God in Jesus is that he is supremely good. Do you see that there? I mean, Moses, I want to see your glory. And God says, okay, I'll show you my glory. It's called goodness. It's called goodness. I'll make it pass in front of you in every way. So what if this week, I don't have it here. It's on here. What if this week you were on the lookout for God's goodness to you? What if this week you're on the lookout for God's glory in some goodness that you see? Is that on your outline there? I, okay, I, 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 I've been on antibiotics, so it, may, it wasn't plugged in. Now I've got some smarties up here. <laughs> that's right, wasn't plugged in. Uh, that's right. Uh, what if this week you were on the lookout for God's glory in some goodness that you see in creation? What if you're on the lookout for this? You know, I, I, uh, a, a buddy of mine, we did a, a, a minister's meeting in uh, Ohio on Thursday. We flew out at four o'clock in the morning on, on Thursday and got back at 11 o'clock that night uh, and went and taught class on Friday. But I was reflecting on that when I got back after I regained consciousness. And, and I, I was telling Becky, I said, when I think about the goodness of God, when I, when I think about his kindness to me and Dr. Sutton, we were gone. It just caused me to bow my head in thanks. The goodness of God. I mean, I can't tell you all the things that happened that were good. Uh, just incredible things, some, some wonderful things that happened. Why? Because God is good. You know, God is good, what? All the time and all the time? God is good. I don't know that I've always believed that. I, I, I've only seen God at times in terms of glory and might and power, but in goodness. Okay, the last thing here. We're gonna do something today. Our place, oh, second, our place to know God's name. Oh, I gotta hurry. Beth, we're going here. Notice what he says. In John 17, get back over there, Cliff. Notice what he says here. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you yet, and they have known you, 
I have known you and they've known that you sent me and I've made known your name to them and will make it known. Now, you know, uh, probably if you've been around me for a while, that one of the things that we have to understand is that a name in the ancient world does not just mean nomenclature, identifying a person from another person. It has to do with character. He said, I've made your name known to them. And this name, meaning character, the, the, in, 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 in the Old Testament, Abraham or Abram is now Abraham because his character has changed. He's now the father of many nations. Jacob was a supplanter or a conniver or an underminer. And when he becomes the one who wrestles with God, his name becomes Israel. This idea of the name of God, as you know, in the Old Testament, people won't even say it. They just do this. They talk about Hashem, the name, the name. They don't, they don't vocalize it. They don't say Yahweh. They just say the name. And so this idea of Jesus saying, I have come to show them or reveal your name. What is the name that Jesus comes to reveal? I've said this before, but it's Father. Now notice here on verse 25, if you were counting when we started this section in John 13, back when you were, uh, before you retired, <laughs> In John 13 to 17, this is the 49th occurrence of this term. In John 13 to 17, the word father shows up 49 times. Nothing else shows up like that. Then in the last night of Jesus' earthly ministry, he is adamant about communicating and sharing that this person, this God, this father, or this God, his name is Father. That's a, that's a big deal. I want to ask you to look at this just real quick. It's plugged in. You've probably seen this, but when you think about God as a father or God caring about you, God as a loving, attentive father, I think looking at this picture, and you may know the answer to this, but if, if you don't even be better, This is the creation of Adam in the Sistine Chapel in Rome. And I've asked my students before, which one of these hands is God? Now listen, when I first looked at this years ago, years ago, years ago, in my guts, or the Greek word splankna is a better word, don't say guts, Cliff, in my inward That hand on the left was God. The tradition I grew up in, the people I was around, you had to be stretching to get to him. Anybody else? In my heart and in my mind and in my soul, I'm not talking about my head. Intellectually, I know differently. But in my heart and in my soul, That left hand was God. Ah, well, you know, if you can make it, be a good idea. Well, you know, if you try hard enough, Cliff, maybe. I bet I'm not the only person. I I, I showed that to my students. I said, this could reflect as clearly as I could ever say whether you see God as a father or a drill instructor. Do you see him as the one reaching to you Or do you see him as the one who's asking you reached him? It's like, I heard this said all my life. We'd say to people, have you found the Lord? Did you ever hear that? I didn't know he's lost. <laughs> How do you have to, you have to find him? Oh yeah. All these kinds of, of notions. Jesus said, I've revealed the name. His name is Father. And whatever a father is or whatever a father can do, This is the new name for God. Now, I also put on your outline there, I just want to call your attention to this. The name also can be this idea of the seven I am statements in the book of John. That this name that Jesus came to reveal, I am, that is from Hebrew, vayahi, or ego, emi in Greek, that is I am, that's the name Yahweh. 
So what's the name? I am the bread of life. I'm what gives you strength. I'm the light of the world. I'm the gate of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. You know, I, I think this is something that, at least for me, has been, and with I work with my students, is something that gets deep in them as to who this God really is. I'm not talking about intellectually. I had all kinds of intellectual accuracy in my thinking about God, but in my heart and in my soul, there was a different God living there. There's a different one. He wasn't that good to begin with, and I didn't know him as father. What if this week you did this? What if this week you only used the name my father in your prayer time? Or if you use one of the I am statements per day. You know, there's seven. <laughs> That'd work real well, wouldn't it? I'll tell you real quick, and then I'm gonna, we're going to have Beth Thomas come here in just a second. Give her, I've uh, talked to people in our class before, and there are incredible testimonies about how God has worked in their life. And I've got a few people lined up, and if you want to do that, we'll talk about it. But this next thing that Beth's going to talk about here real quick is this is our place, God's love. Notice what it says there. I want the love which you have loved me to be in them and I in them. What, what is the place of love to transform our lives? And I've asked Beth to come. She has a, an experience with God about how the love of God has changed her life. This is a real life person here talking about experiencing the love that God has for Jesus that's now in her. Beth, come talk to us. I'm going to put that on your ear. Figure out how this works. All right. Plug it in. Oh, I'm plugged in now? Okay. Ooh. I'm on a short leash, too. Okay. You know, Scripture tells us that um, God is preparing... A mansion for us in heaven, so I hope my house is next door to yours. <laughs> and maybe it won't be a tent. So Becky will mow for you. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> Gosh, there's a lot of you way back there. Um, I just want to share a little bit about my family and where I came from and, and how God has indeed loved me and changed my life and transformed my life, as we say here. I grew up in a large family. I have four sisters and one brother. Uh, my mother had six children in 11 years by the time she was the age of 30, if you can imagine that. I was in third grade before we had any form of indoor plumbing or toilet. Um, the earliest memories I have of my mother is her sitting at the table with her hands and her head weeping because she didn't know what she was going to feed us next. We were chronically, chronically poor. We lived in dumpy rent houses, many of them. My mother referred to a lot of these houses as the Baylor house, the Honeyman house, the Newcastle house, because they were not our house. They were dumpy rent houses. Um, The house that I lived in the longest, the eight of us lived in a two-bedroom rent house. My dad went bankrupt as a farmer in western Oklahoma, and we eventually moved to the Oklahoma City area, and he struggled from job to job until he finally got a civilian job at Tinker Air Force Base. And my parents bought their first home after all six of us were married and gone. Um, when Bill and I got married, everything I owned, every piece of clothing, every shoe, every purse, every book, every belonging I had fit in the back seat of his car. Along with living very poor, we were unloved, neglected, and abused, all six of us. <clears throat> My dad was mean mean, mean. If he could mess with my mom and pick at her and irritate her 
until she cried, he would laugh. So as a child, that was pretty hard to witness that. Psalms 103.8 said, the Lord is slow to anger and full of loving kindness. My dad was just the opposite. He was quick to anger and really had no loving kindness in him. In fact, <clears throat> my dad bragged that he had never said a kind word about any of us. He thought it would give us the big head. You know, now we strive for self-esteem in our kids. <laughs> Fear was a big part of my life growing up. I thought my dad would kill me. Um, and I had two sisters who married and left home at very young ages to get away from home. We were neglected and very unloved and never felt special. And if there's ever a day you wanna feel special, it's your birthday. We were never made to feel special or loved on our birthday. So guys, I started birthday Sunday and bring birthday treats so you can all celebrate your birthday with me. You're going to celebrate your birthday now, whether you want to or not. Well, we're going to fast forward a little bit now. <clears throat> My dad died 20 years ago this month of pancreatic cancer. My mother is 85 and lives independently in Yukon. And she is and continues to be emotionally absent mother, really could care less about any of us. In fact, in recent days, she has said if she had it to do over again, she wouldn't have any of us. Um, a loveless, loveless childhood and a loveless adulthood. Um, very sad. Um, I often wondered how did I survive such a thing and I truly believe that my great-grandmother, precious Mary Ann Sampson, prayed us into heaven, prayed over us, prayed for us. Anytime we spent the night at her home, she had us get on our knees and we prayed the Lord's Prayer together. So I want to say to all of you grandparents out there, keep praying for your grandchildren. It's an investment in eternity, I guarantee you. I feel like I'm a product of that. Now, how this relates to Cliff's teaching <clears throat> today about God's love for us. I borrowed money and went off to college. And I heard the good news. Not only did I hear that Christ died for me, and I chose to be a Christ follower and live for him the rest of my life, but the good news was, oh, he loves me. I'd never had anybody love me like that before. Unconditionally true love from God. And what a transforming time this was for me. I can remember whenever I was in college and I said yes to Jesus, I will live for you. I truly pictured myself being hugged by God like my parents had never hugged me before. We were not in a loving home, and so the love of God truly transformed me. Um, and what an incredible experience to just imagine that God, the Heavenly Father, had his arms around me. Wow. So whenever I first heard, and I know Cliff has said this before, is that our relationship with our earthly father many times has an effect on how we feel about our heavenly father. The first time I heard that, I said, what? No. Because they were so different, so opposite. My heavenly father was a loving father, and my earthly father was not. So how wonderful it was to know that God loves us. There's a lot of scripture about how we are to love God. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your might and all your soul. And 1 Corinthians 2, 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But what about the fact that God loves us and the great things that comes from that when God transforms us with his love? Wow, pretty amazing. So in my 20s, I decided I was going to make my parents like me. <laughs> Don't try that at home. <laughs> so um, through a lot of prayers, counseling, reading, and searching, God helped me learn to forgive my parents and accept my parents and the brokenness of a loveless childhood and let God love me. I gave him my brokenness and Jesus has his hands out for you to give him your brokenness. My childhood was filled with brokenness, but we all have some kind of brokenness in our life that God pours love into us and helps us. But you know, giving God my brokenness from my childhood and forgiving and accepting my parents was not a one-time act. It's a continual thing. It never ends. It's a process. But what a freeing thing that oftentimes, um, as Bill knows, um, you won't believe what mother said. Uh, it's still there. It's still painful. But you know, inhale, take a deep breath. And you know, God loves me in a way that no earthly person can. So take a moment and think about whatever brokenness is in your life. Because everybody has some. None of us are perfect. It's just Mine was childhood lovelessness, if there's such a word. Um, think about the brokenness in your life and how God is extending his hands to you for you to surrender and for you to say, I give you my brokenness and my hurt. And God's love will transform you. And I pray that you can do that. It's a hard thing took a lot of years and it's a process. But God's love is more powerful and transforms us in a way that no earthly person can. Thank you. I heard uh, Beth's story years ago and I, I just said to her, I said, Beth, people got to hear this. I don't know how you survived. She said to me, God's love. That's it. Now, for some of us, we may have had similar things like she said, and we have to let God deal with our brokenness. <laughs> this ear is too big. This ear is too big. Uh, and I want to I read this over you. As we end John 17. Um. It's funny in the sense that you got to believe this. You know, this is Jesus praying. Okay. So let's establish this idea that I think if Jesus is praying for us and he said, I don't just pray for those who are here, but I pray for those who will come to believe in me on behalf of their word. That's you. That's me. Listen to the words of Jesus. I've made known your name to them and will make it known so that. See, Beth had to get another father in her heart and mind. That's the name, the father, the I am. I've made known your name to them so that the love which you loved me may be in them. That, that's what Jesus is praying for you and me. 
Can you imagine the love that the father has for the son? Can you imagine that? That, that, that the same love the father has for the son might be in us. We have to believe that. Whether our feelings tell us that's true or not, this is, again is the transaction of faith to say, I trust you, Jesus, I believe you. Now I want to pray one more thing over us or read something. It's in, uh, it's in Ephesians. It's in Ephesians and this is so important. Ephesians chapter three. Jesus is praying that that love that is from his father. Well, this is someday, isn't it? This, Jesus is praying that the same love that the father has for him will be in us. Listen to Paul's prayer for us. Chapter three, verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees before the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through the spirit in the inner man so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. He doesn't dwell in your hearts through feelings or through experience. He dwells in our hearts through our faith and trust. Notice, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints. This is not you comprehending by yourself. This is why we need to hear from Beth. To comprehend with all the saints. This isn't, this isn't some mystical thing. This isn't something that happens just to us individually. This is no solo virtuoso spirituality here. He said, I'm praying that you'll comprehend with all the saints. What? What is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge. Notice that. What am I praying? I'm praying that you'll understand the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length. All these four dimensions of the love of God. So that you will know the love of Christ, which surpasses all knowledge. This is important now, guys. Verse 19, look, that or so that. You see that at verse 19? So that. This means this is the purpose of being filled and full of the love of God. What? So what? So what? You'll be filled up with what? The fullness of God. Here's the connection. This goes back to the goodness of God. When you're filled up with the fullness of God, you're filled up with what? Huh? Look at it. It's right there in the text. Love. Look at it. That you might understand the height and depth and length and breadth and to know the love of Christ that transcends all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. When are you full of God and when am I full of God? When we've comprehended the love of God, its depth, its height, its length, its breadth. Beth tells us today that we can comprehend with all the saints, not just, a, I don't always feel that way toward God. You may not feel that way toward God, but Paul says, I'm praying that you together with all the saints will be able to comprehend, understand the love of God. I've got this verse underlined in my Bible. I keep reading it when it says, Cliff, you're full. I wrote this, in a, Cliff, you're full of God when you're full of What? Christ's love. That's when you're full of God. That's when I'm full of God, when I experience his love in his community. So let me end with this. Jesus' prayer, that the same love that the Father has for him, the same love would be in us. Let me just remind you this, one of John Wesley's great statements when he said it this way. True Christian living is to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
And I grew up in a tradition that just said, okay, get busy. And I lived that way for a long time until I understood what Wesley said, but you cannot love God until you're convinced he loves you. You can't. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love because he first loved us. This is God's work in your life and in my life. You are not, I said this in Ohio, that you're not that good. You know, Eric, you're not that good. Eric knows that, right? Amen. You know what, Susan, you're not that good. You know what, Cliff, you're not that good. I'm only able to love because he first loved me. You're having trouble loving God? The answer isn't try harder. The answer is pray this prayer that Jesus prayed over yourself, that the same love that the father loved the son is in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this stuff sounds crazy to our ears. It's crazy to our culture. It's crazy in our families. It's crazy in our experience to believe this. But we're reminded that you use words in ways that others didn't. You, you really cut to the chase. And so we pray, as we may have never prayed before, that we would realize you really do want to be with us. You really do want us to see your glory. You really want us to know your name. And you really want us to experience the same love the Father has for you in us. You prayed this. We're not praying it. You prayed this for us. This is your will, and we receive it in the name of Jesus. Would you work it out in every person's life in here today in unique and wonderful ways that maybe are only for them, but you would work it out as you work it in our lives that we might know this great love that we see in Jesus, we see in this prayer, and we trust you and believe you to do this. In your strong name we pray, amen.